This is the Dice Tower Network, adding games to your wish list since 2005. The home of smart people, insightful board gaming commentary, and Luke Hector. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Okay guys, this is it. This is the top 10. 100 games are being mentioned here and 90 have already been told. And now we get to the final 10. My 10 most favorite games of all time. How much has changed since last year's top 75? Well, you will find out now. A few sneak teasers. We have got three new debuts. We have got two that have come down. We have got three that have gone up. We have got two that have stayed where they were before, and one of them has gone up so much. You know, you have seen ones that have gone up like 16 places, 18 places before, but one of the ones in this top 10 has gone up a whopping 36 places. That is insane. What possibly brought a game up that high that it would go into my top 10? Well, you can find out now. It's time to wrap this up. I got other things to review as well, obviously. So the top 10 begins right now. Number 10, I've been wanting to play for so long. This is a new debut to the list, and the only reason I've even managed to get this played is because Fantasy Flight did one of their best reprints that they've ever done for a game. We had been crying out for this for ages. I'd heard the Dice Tower rave about this game like crazy. And yet nobody I knew owned it, I never saw it at a convention, I just could not get it played, despite the fact that it sounded like Citadel's 2.0, and I thought, oh well, this could really be something I enjoy. And lo and behold, it was. I tried out the reprint, and it was as good as it gets to make my number 10. That is Mission Red Planet. Mission Red Planet takes what Citadels had with the role selection, which is one of the things I... Well, the thing I love about Citadels. And gave it into this game, brought it in here, and you still have it. You've got nine characters, like Pilot and Femme Fatale and Mechanic, that kind of thing. And you are basically trying to get your astronauts from your supply onto Mars because as well as the role selection there is the planet of Mars split into territories and you're attempting to mine Mars for minerals and victory points now you don't know where the minerals are to begin with it's hidden information so when you land on particular sectors you'll find out what they are only there and then But the cool thing with this is how the roles intermingle with each other because you've got some that blow up ships early you've got some that fill up spaceships to their full you've got some that change the destinations of them after they're already being taken off it's really cool there's some a light bit of take that against the other players you know you can kill off opponents astronauts and you can blow up a ship or send it the wrong way to what they're hoping 
But, oh, it looks gorgeous. You've got little plastic astronauts. You've got a nice-looking tile Mars planet. And the reprint even brought in Phobos, which is like a little moon that goes around it. You can also mine that for resources, but you can also jump down from Phobos to the planet. It's really cool, mixing in the role selection of citadels with the area control of, well, a typical area control game. It works so smoothly, it's easy to teach. The nine roles are not particularly tricky to learn. I wouldn't call this a gateway game. I would say it was Gateway Plus, though. I think once I've shown you a couple of Gateway games, I would step you up to Mission Red Planet because it's not the most complex game in the world. It's about light, medium weight, but it's so much fun. Really good role selection and area control game. Looks the business. This is how you do a reprint right. And I'm so glad I finally managed to play it and finally get it into my collection. Mission Red Planet at number 10. Number 9 is one of the games that dropped places. This time it dropped 7 places. Yes, this was my number 2 last year. My number 2 favourite game. And it's still my 9th. Get it right, I nearly said 7th. My ninth most favourite game of all time. And that is Legendary Encounters Alien. Now this is a slight cheat. Because I'm including Predator with this as well. I still think Alien is the better of the two, which is why I'm going to say Alien rather than Predator. But if you've played both games, they are pretty much the same game. I mean, one of them's got a tacked-on traitor mechanic, which doesn't really work that well. And the other one's got the PvP mechanic, which actually does work reasonably well. But in terms of the theme, in terms of the characters you can play, because it has the same rules as Marvel Legendary. You know, your deck building, and you've got a team of various people from the Alien universe, or, you know, the four films but what really sets this apart from other deck builders is how well it integrates theme into a deck builder deck builders are so hard to get a theme integrated because in the end you're just shuffling around cards and trying to make it efficient theme doesn't normally carry off well but with legendary alien you are playing through the movies themselves Alien 1, Aliens, Alien 3, and Alien Resurrection, which most people won't talk about. But you play for these four films, and they're done in objectives. So you have you, you take the Hive deck, as it's called, and you split it into three bits. And the idea is, is that each one is filled with various things like locations and aliens and various other nasty things that could happen to you. Facehuggers of all sorts. And you play through each objective, trying to complete them in line with the movies. So in, let's say, the second Aliens film. The first objective is you go underground and you have to kill off various uh, cocoon victims. And then the second bit is that you have to set up the sentry guns. And then the third bit, you have to take out the queen herself. Really thematic because you feel like you're playing through these movies with the classic characters like Hudson and Hicks. And, you know, from the second one, Ash and different forms of Ripley. I think you've got like three or four different types of Ripley in this game. You know, each from each movie, you've got the priests and the inmates from the third film you've got the scientists and those the what do they call the the rogues the, you know the rogue bandits from alien resurrection you've got all these classic characters that you remember from the four movies and each movie plays out differently they all the four movies feel very different to play and it's still so thematic. I'll give another example. Alien Resurrection, one of the objectives, or it's certainly like some of the cards that pop up in the middle of the game are ones that flood various areas because what happens is that a bit like in Marvel Legendary the deck gets a card and it moves along this track of various locations and when it gets to the end of the track it ends up in a combat area and it either goes off for bad stuff or if it's an alien it starts attacking you and various other things but in the alien resurrection deck you get things that flood 
the various sections of that track. And when the section is flooded, it's harder to kill off an alien in there. So it's so it captured that scene from the movie perfectly, where the whole thing becomes flooded and you're in a bad situation. The aliens themselves look cool. The artwork is a mixture. The legendary games do have a bit of a mix on the artwork front, but I think most of the artwork in Alien is fairly solid. It's It captures the theme and the setting really well. It is more gory. So I will say that maybe you don't want to have your kids watching um, playing this game, but certainly you know teenagers should be able to handle this fine. But it oh, it just works so well. I really enjoy this one, regardless of which movie I play. All four of them are pretty solid. But I haven't even got to my favourite bit about the game. Um, two other favourite bits. One, you scan the cards because normally in Legendary Marvel they come face up. Here they come face down, and you have to spend fight value cards to scan the area so you can see what the card is. So it's hidden to begin with, and that brings up that tension like in the Alien films. But, oh, one of the ways you can lose this game is the best way I have ever seen you can possibly lose a co-op game. I know that's a weird thing to have as a favourite thing, but here, and this goes with the theme, you've got facehugger cards that turn up out of the deck. And facehuggers are one of the scariest things I have ever seen in a movie ever, because I'm arachnophobic. I hate spiders. So what can you do to make me completely freak the hell out of... Give me a giant alien spider that lays eggs inside you. Okay, thank you for tapping on my fear, like my fears there, you know, alien universe. But they come out of the deck, and if you don't kill them quick enough, like you or the player after you doesn't kill them quick enough, then it lays an egg in you, and you get a chestburster card in your deck. And the idea is, is that when this chestburster card finally comes out of your deck, you die instantly and are eliminated. Now, you can have the variant rule where you come back as an alien player and you and, and you work against the others. That's pretty cool. But even if you just get eliminated from the game, because at that point, the game doesn't take too much longer to finish. Oh, that's the coolest way to lose a co-op, isn't it? To have a facehugger and a chestburster incident. You're, you're playing for the rest of the game going, come on, we got to finish this. Come on, go, 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 come on. Go, go. And then the last round, it bursts out. It's just so cool how they managed to integrate that into a deck builder. This one deserves awards for innovation, I think, to get themed this strong in a deck builder. Anyway, I've gone on enough about it. It's a fantastic deck builder game, I think. Yep, it is. It is my favorite. If you're not going to include... Well, actually, that's spoiling too much. It's one of my favourite deck builder games, period. Legendary Encounters Alien at number 9. Number 8 is another new debut to the list, and oh boy, did this one ride the hype trade. Yes, you knew that this was coming up in my top 100 at some point, but you were probably wondering just how high it could possibly get. I recently did an audio review for this. I think episode 7 was on this one in my Broken Me audio reviews. Check that out if you want to know more. But I've been putting pictures of this up. I've had three games of this in the last 24 hours. It's, well, yeah, 24 to 48 hours. And, oh, I love this game. This is a fantastic Euro. I'm not going to say that, oh, it lives up to the hype, because I hate it when people stereotype a game based on hype. You know, hype is a killer to everything. This game is just a solid resource management, area control, combat Euro. It's a jack of all trades, in my opinion. Not for everyone. Not everyone is going to like this. I've I've had people hate this game with a passion because they're mostly into PvP combat, they're mostly into Amerifrash, they may not like resource management. You know, they're perfectly valid reasons why you would not like this game, and that is Scythe. Yep, Scythe has just come out, I have done demos, I have played it so many times now, 
and it is my number eight game of all time. It has managed to hit my top ten already. This is not a phase. I really do legitimately enjoy this game. The fact that you've got the different factions that play out very differently. You've got the variety in the player boards. You know that changes the way you play. And then you've got that gorgeous map with all that beautiful artwork the beautiful 1920s almost steampunkish artwork where you've got people farming in villages and on farmland with steam-powered mechs in the background oh i wish i'd actually back kickstarted the art connoisseurs thing because the artwork is just that lovely to look at but here you've got resource management so you're going to territories and you're getting oil and metals and various things like that you're using them to upgrade your abilities and your and build buildings on your areas you've got your mechs that you can send out to do combat with other mechs or just act as a deterrent you've got encounters that you can come across which are a bit like doing something out of a an arkham horror game not in terms of horror but in terms of you get a scenario and you get to pick a good neutral or evil outcome for it and it may give you bonuses in cost for payment i think i heard somebody describe this as the mass effect mechanic I don't know, I've never played the Mass Effect PC games, but I'm guessing that had a similar thing where you chose like the good, neutral, and bad outcome. Probably should play those games at some point. I hear they're pretty good. But anyway, I digress. Scythe is a wonderful Euro. Jamie Stegmaier does Kickstarters right. I can't actually think of a single Stonemaier game I don't like. Now, it doesn't mean I love them all. Between Two Cities is probably the weakest link out of everything that Stonemaier has done, but I still think it's a good game and I still respect its ingenious design. But it's obviously not in my top 100. It'd probably make my top 200, but it's certainly not in the 100. But Euphoria, you've already heard. Uh, they did Viticulture as well. They did uh, Scythe, obviously, this one. They did, um, well, they haven't done that many, I must admit. But the games they do are always solid and definitely worth checking out. That is Scythe at number 8. Is it worth the hype? I'm not going to say that. I'm just saying it's a solid game all round. Number seven was my number four last year. Yep, this is the other one that's come down the charts. I still really adore this game. This is one of the first co-ops, or even one of the first gateway games I will pull out for people. Because even though the setup can be a little fiddly for the advanced version... I'll do that all for you and then just teach you the basic rules of the game and you're in it straight away. If I really think you're only into simple games, I'll just teach you the family version where it's all preset and you don't have special powers and things like that and that will make it even simpler. But for this, this is a theme that anybody can get behind whether they're new to gamer, new to games or seasoned gamers. This is Flashpoint Fire Rescue. I still really enjoy this one. There's so many maps for it now, so many ways that the game can go and it's even though it's got a lot of randomness to it, it's not too long that that bothers you. And to be fair, it's thematic. It's a fire, for crying out loud. You can't predict how fire is going to act. It is, in its very nature, uncontrollable. Or, well, maybe uncontrollable. Unpredictable. That's the word I'm looking for. It's, in its very nature, unpredictable. And that's how the fire should be. Now, granted, it is a bit weird how fire suddenly spring up in the toilet for no reason at all. That is the slight disconnect. But otherwise, the fact that they could spread randomly 
And it's so cool how you think you're on top of the situation. It's like, I've got it. Yes, we're all good. Not much fire. We're getting these guys out. It's all right. And then suddenly it all blows up in your face. And it's like, okay, we're in trouble. Put it out, put it out, put it out. And then you either get your seven victims out or more often than not, the building collapses on top of you and you all die. It's a great theme. Works well with adults. Works well with children. I've played it with children before. They really get a kick out of being a firefighter. It's a great good theme to have as a co-op game. Easy to teach, but can easily be adapted for seasoned gamers with submarines and boats. Yeah, no, submarine, work that one out. You know, boats and multi-story buildings. Uh, You can have like a basement, you can have an attic, you can have a three-floor building. You can have an apartment complex where you've got a massive wall between the two things and you've either got to cut your way through or go around. Oh, really do like this one. It's It was my number four last... Yep, it was my number four last year. It's my seven this year. It's gone down a little bit, mainly just because, you know, a couple of things have come that I prefer it. But in the end, I still really, really love this co-op game. Is it my favorite co-op of all time? No, no, it's not. You're going to see at least another co-op in this top ten. I think you already guessed that anyway. So, Flashpoint Fire Rescue, solid all-round gateway co-op game, seven. Number six is the final new debut on this list. That means the next five games are ones that you've heard before from the last top 75. This is the newest and the highest new debut though, and that deserves some serious credit. And this is probably one of the biggest surprises I had from Essen last year. I didn't even know what this game was about. All I heard was a title. That was it. I saw a title, then I saw a box cover, and that was it. I had no other idea what to expect. I didn't recognize the designer apart from the fact that he did Among the Stars. I didn't recognize, I didn't know much about the publisher except that they did Among the Stars and New Dawn, you know, Artipio Games. And all I just saw was this really colorful, vibrant board set up at Essen with a big title called The Pursuit of Happiness. And I just thought, what on earth is this game? This looks really colourful and looks really weird, but let's try it. And I was told that it was basically the Game of Life Euro Edition. And that's how I describe it as well. So that was a weird one, but I have a big nostalgic nostalgic connection to the Game of Life because I used to play it a lot with the parents when I was young. The one where you drive the little car around the linear track and you get a job, you get money, you get married, and despite the fact I don't want kids, I suddenly end up with effectively a people carrier with myself, my wife, and about six children in it. Yeah, worked that one out. But it's a great little game from the 80s mainstream. Pursuit of Happiness, however, is a really good Euro game because this is just true sandbox Euro style. The idea is is that you are starting off in your teens and you're living up to old age and eventually death. You're trying to have the most victory points, which in thematic terms is living the best life possible. You will have cards available that represent jobs, partners, um, you know, uh, activities you can do, items that you can buy, projects you can work on, like learn Taekwondo or go surfing or walk the dog or train dog, you know, or become, you know, write a play, that kind of thing. And generally the format's the same. You pay money or you pay these free resources, creativity and and, uh, influence and knowledge, and you get these cards. And they will get you points as you level them up or they'll just, you know, give you other more resources. But the great thing with this is just how fun it is to tell your story of how you lived your life. You go from A to B, start to finish, and you'll start off doing this, you know, I wrote a play, then I acted in it, 
Then I decided to write a political thesis. Then I decided to learn Taekwondo. Then I joined a motorbike gang and became a ninja in my old age. You know, it's, you get such a good story from the way everyone does and everyone just has a laugh. Yes, there's an eventual winner and that's okay, but you don't really care who wins in this game. It's just, it's almost like the sandbox experience of saying, I can live my life the way I want to. The game is not going to punish me un- severely for doing so, but it's going to let me take what I want and live the way I like and just tell a hilarious story about how your life in this game is somewhat jumbled up from your real one. Or you can go to the next mile, like I did when I first demoed it, and actually try to copy your life. And I managed to do so. I found I took the nerd uh, starting power, I became an accountant, I worked out at the gym, I ended up with a miniatures collection. It really did actually mimic my real life, and it was just quite funny aiming for those things in particular. It's not perfect, okay? There are one or two little issues with a couple of mechanics that could be improved, but they're small fry, they're small nitpicks. And to be fair, the second edition print sorted out a lot of those problems anyway, and is still a fantastic print of the game. Always go for the second edition if you can get it with the new cards they've put in and the updated graphic design. It really does help move the game forward. They even tweaked one or two rules, which are pretty much, you know, they're solid tweaks to the rule system. But I really enjoy this one. It just allows me to do what I like. It gives me all the variety I could ask for. You just get some great laughs, particularly with some people I play with at my local group who also adore this game, you know, to the point where they've gone and bought it as well. Playing with them is just such a blast because we just roleplay the hell out of it and enjoy every minute of it. Pursuit of Happiness, the highest debut on this top 100, number 6. Five more to go, and this one has climbed five places. This one was my number 10, and it's still in my top 10, but now it's number 5. And it hasn't even taken an expansion to elevate this, although one is coming out later this year for it, which I cannot wait for. It's taken them long enough to issue it, but I suppose they had to make sure and it was balanced and work with the app. That's within this one, yes. Does that give you a clue? Yeah, I am talking about Fantasy Flight's fantastic XCOM the board game. I never played the XCOM PC game before I tried this out, but this board game made me want to play the PC game. Now I've played through Enemy Within and completed it, and now I'm very, very slowly working my way through XCOM 2, because let's face it, I don't get much time to play computer games lately, and it's a pain. But maybe in the new house I'll find some time to play some of that, or certainly maybe over the next month while I'm waiting for my house to get built. Now, I already liked XCOM before I played the PC game, but as I've played through the PC games, I can see how well the theme is represented in this board game. And people will go, I don't like the way that an app is half the game, you don't get all the pieces around. Trust me, you get a board, you get these plastic miniature UFOs and interceptors, you get miniatures for your guys on the ground, your forces, and you've got cards, you've got nice looking board that fits with the theme, you've got nice artwork from the XCOM universe... And you're telling me that the app is too much of the game? Okay, yeah, you need the app. You have to have the app, otherwise you can't play this game. But big deal, everybody's got a smartphone or a tablet these days. It's not difficult to find one of those. They're going to keep updating this. Hell, they bring out an expansion later this year. What more proof do you want that they're going to keep it updated? But the app is, oh my god, it's innovation 
gold. It handles all the bookkeeping. It handles how the aliens react to what you're doing in the game. You've got the one guy, the central officer, who's shouting out orders from it, saying, you know, commander, deploy interceptors, guy, choose a mission, you, research, do your thing. And all four of you have a distinct role. It's asymmetrical gameplay, another thing I love in games, where each person is their own thing. If I'm the scientist, I am researching tech and doing janky combos to help the other three players. If I am the commander, I am defending the Earth with my interceptor planes and UFOs, auditing the budget, which I must admit doesn't sound very fun by itself, but trust me, you got to keep the math going, and dealing with the whole 50-50 choice of draw crisis cards and pick the best of a bad bunch because they are nasty crisis cards. But you've got in 10 seconds to think, um, uh, that one's worse, that one's worse. Right, choose that one. And then if you're the squad leader, you're deploying your actual guys out on missions and defending the base of alien attack. And the central officer gets to defend the planet from UFO landings with its satellite system and do lots of other cool combos as well as take control of the app. It's a solid co-op all-round, and I played this recently, actually, with the Dice Portsmouth crew, and we had a blast. It was one of the best games of XCOM I'd ever played. I was the commander. We played it on medium difficulty, because I'm telling you, this is a hard game. Easy mode is the easiest mode in this game. And I know that sounds obvious, except I haven't mentioned tutorial. The tutorial in this app is fantastic. It teaches you the game so well, but it slaps you around. The tutorial was actually harder to beat than easy mode, which is kind of weird, but I guess the tutorial has to get into your head that this is not an easy game. Medium is pretty difficult, hard, I've not even tried hard, and there's an insane difficulty as well, like expert level. What on earth is that going to be like? Because it's hard enough beating this on medium. There is some luck in the dice rolls, yes, but it can be mitigated, and in the end, a little bit of randomness in a co-op game is fine. You get that a lot. But we had a game with medium difficulty and for the whole game our central officer was just rolling success after success after success you know we didn't have to worry about the planet problem but the other three of us were useless we could not roll successes to save our life whether it was research or interceptors or not we were getting creamed in the base and we got to a point where we were one point off death you know one point from the base being destroyed and we had one guy elite guy on the final mission that came out and there were two muton elites, which are like really tough aliens to kill, and a final task. And we thought, there is, we've only just managed to survive the base being defended. I don't think we're going to survive another turn, but we've got nothing to lose with this guy. Let's just let him chip away at this mission. Maybe we can blitz it next turn. So the guy gets rolling. He manages to get one success on each roll that he does because you can keep re-rolling, but you've got the fret die and it goes up over time, reaches a cap level. And if you roll that number on the fret level or lower, your guy dies. So he's rolling the success, but not getting killed by the alien fret die. And each he needs three successes to get through each muton elite and the final task. And he's getting one at a time. So he rolls. Kung-chink. Rolls again. One success. Kung-chink. You know, he's literally taking chinks out of the alien's armor. Roll again. Kung-chink. One muton elite goes down. And he carries on in this fashion, taking one success at a time, until he eventually manages to get through the final task by himself and without dying. We uproared with the tech. We almost flipped the table in cheers because it was just such a monumental moment. I put a picture online of this recently where I said, like, OMG, Arnie managed to solo it by himself. 
that was the occasion. We literally had the elite guy solo the entire final mission by himself. After all the bad rolling, somehow this guy just managed to wipe the floor with the final mission and do your cliche Arnold Schwarzenegger type, you know, climatic final battle. It works so well. Anyway, that's enough about this game. I better get on to the next four. Just to let you know again, XCOM the board game, expansion later this year. Fantastic co-op game. Number five. Number four is my number seven from last year. Yes, Flashpoint Fire Rescue and this game literally swapped places. I don't know how that happened, but this one has been elevated further because of an expansion. But to be fair, it would have been in my top ten regardless of the expansion because this is probably the gateway game that I love to pull out in any situation with new players just because it is such a charming colourful, entertaining little game, and that is Takinoko. Takinoko with the gardener and the panda miniatures that you move around growing bamboo trees in the garden. I bet half of you have just had a heart attack thinking, what on earth is this doing at number four in your list? But I really enjoy this game. It's that sort of light gateway game where you get to calm down. After a bad day at work or some heavy games, this is one that just makes you go, ah, rest. Nice little healthy little game. Now I know Takedo does that as well but this one is my preference of the two by far. I am always making om nom noises every time I go around with that little panda miniature. I love bears what can I say and it's just it looks so good looks so colorful. I love this game so much I even bought the deluxe version at Essen last year and now whenever Dice Portsmouth do an event if it's not in storage or it's not indisposed, I bring the deluxe version in and then you get to see the panda and the guy in jumbo form with these huge pieces made out of wood. Oh, it looks so good. Component quality is great. This is one of Antoine Balzer's... This is Antoine Balzer's best design that he's ever done. Um, I can't pronounce the other guy's name. Corentin Lebrat. Lebrat? I, sorry if I don't get your name right, but he was a designer as well. I met him and Antoine Essen last year. They signed my box. He put little panda stickers in it. It was really nice. But I mentioned an expansion. Well, the expansion Chibis came out last year, and that, oh my god. I mean, if this had any danger of falling out of the top 10, the expansion certified its place. Previously, you had the panda eating bamboo, you had the gardener growing bamboo, and you had to build the garden. The expansion did what an expansion should do. It gave you more of the good stuff and added in one simple mechanic that you could bring in. I mean, I could teach the game with this, but, you know, I can take it out easily if need be. And what it did was it gave you some more interesting tiles for the garden. It gave you more interesting objectives to grab. But best of all, it gave you the female panda miniature. This one was another miniature you had on the table eventually, and you could, instead of eating bamboo, you could trade those bits in to make panda babies, and they gave you extra points at the end of the game, but they also gave you a little bonus as and when. It was just such a really cool little, like, thematic element. Well, I say thematic, you know how hard it is to get pandas to procreate these days. But in this game, yeah, this panda knows what he's doing. He just knows that you have to take the lady out to dinner first. You know, that's the way it works in the panda world, in this game anyway. It works so well, and it just elevated the game to a point where I thought, this is a fantastic gateway game. It will be my favourite. I still enjoy playing it with seasoned gamers. It's just that nice, light, 60-minute game that you can get done and dusted in no time at all. You know, 60 minutes for a gateway game? 
nice easy touch. People gravitate towards this, they enjoy the charm it has, they enjoy the components, and as a gateway game, it really does do a good job of showcasing to people that games have come a long way since the 1980s monopoliness that you remember from your childhood. So, Takinoko, a wordy, number four. Number three has not moved. Number three has stayed exactly where it is. I still love this game beyond belief, and I'm so sad that I can't get it to the table as often as I would like, just time-wise. But I'm still keeping up with it. I just have to, well, in terms of card releases, but it's taken me a while. I still have a lot of quests to play through. But this is one of those LCGs that is just so wonderfully thematic, and that is the Lord of the Rings LCG. This is why I was a bit uncertain when I was at Legendary Alien about this being my favourite deck builder. It's kind of what you would call, whether you call this a deck builder or not. But, oh, Lord of the Rings LCG, man. This one is so thematic. You've got great artwork across the range. You've got the different cycles where it's going through the Lord of the Rings lore that you didn't see in the movies. But then you can also get the saga expansions where you are playing through those movies. You know, you can get the, the Black Riders all the way up to now Flame of the West, where it goes through all three of the movies. And there's also the Hobbit ones as well, so you can play through the Battle of Five Armies and stuff like that. And they've been going through cycle after cycle after cycle. It's been ongoing. I think this is like the oldest LCG in existence. Maybe one of them anyway. Uh, probably not the oldest, but one of. But it works so well because it's a co-op. I can play this solo. In fact, I've only played this solo. Solo, one-handed. At some point, I will learn how to do this two-handed, but I've been happy playing it solo. But because it's a co-op, you can design a deck or two decks that work well with each other and then teach the game to someone else. And they don't have to feel bad that they don't know what they're doing from day one or that they're going to get beaten down because you're there to help them. You give them a decent deck because you know it works and you want them to help you in the game. It's not like, say, if I was to teach Netrunner, not only have you got a ton of terminology to learn, but I'm giving you a deck that I know how it works, so my chances of beating you are actually pretty high. You know, it doesn't quite work as well for a competitive game. But in Lord of the Rings LCG, you can teach this with two competitive decks, and sorry, two cooperative decks, and it works brilliantly. But even as a solo player, I get lots of plays out of this whenever I get time. And oh, I love it to bits. It's challenging. It's great how each scenario feels very different. And the recent stuff they brought out from the Dream Chaser cycle, where you're actually sailing on boats and taking out other ships, like Corsair ships, and going on to Lost Islands, where now you've got this little map mechanic with the cards, so that when you go to locations, you effectively feel like you're on an island. Oh man, they are doing some great innovative thematic designs with this game. It's just getting better and better and better and better as each cycle comes out. Yes, the barrier to entry is a little high with all the cards, but I recommend that you get the core set and then move on to the Saga expansions. I think that's the best way to do as good as you can with a limited pool of cards and get the most thematic element out of it. If you then get into it in a high way, then you can start getting all the cycle packs like I did. But certainly I think the core set plus the Saga expansions is a brilliant way for you to get started with this game, this fantastic LCG. Still my number three, still adore it. I have no intention of giving this up anytime soon. Although, Fantasy Flight, could you slow down just a tad with the releases, please, just so I could catch up? That'd be very nice.
Number two, this is the big one guys, this is the one I mentioned where it climbed a whopping 36 places. I cannot believe how much this climbed, but it was all because of one expansion. I loved this game beforehand, but the expansion just blew it completely out of proportion with my expectations. I kind of spoiled it a little bit when I talked about Vitalis, um, uh, sorry, about Stonemaier's Scythe earlier in this top 10. Did spoil it a little bit, but I'm not going to go back and edit it. This one is Viticulture. Yep, Viticulture has now climbed 36 places to be my number 2 because of the Tuscany expansion. This was already a solid game with the second edition by itself, but oh my god, the Tuscany expansion. You can get most of the good stuff in it in the Essentials edition, but that new board with four seasons and a little influence map. And now, as well as making grapes and wine, I can now build structures like cafes and restaurants that give me special powers or allow me to do other things. I've got more advisor cards now with the expansion. I now have different starting resources based on what you draft at the start of the game. You have extra boards that you can add on if you want to get to an advanced viticulture where not only are you making wine, you're also making cheese and tomato sauce and olive oil. Ah. Oh, but this is one of the occasions where Euro and Theme just come together so well. I like wine, I like the idea of running a vineyard, and this one handles that thematic element so well, despite being a Euro. And it's Stonemaier again, so you know that it looks the business. Lots of cool wooden pieces, good artwork. Ah, oh, yes, this is how you do Kickstarters, because this was a Kickstarter as well, and oh, it, Stonemaier just knows what he's doing. Seriously, I look forward to every release that he does, from now on because all these games have been solid. Euphoria was in this top 100, Scythe has become my number 8 and this one is now my number 2 all the way from 38 last year. Seriously, he really is knocking it out of the park with theme and Euros. But this one, oh, every time I play this I just feel like I need a glass of wine next to me. When I move into my new house one of the first things I'm going to be playing is I'm going to set up an advanced viticulture session with myself and various other players who have played viticulture before. We're going to have the cheese board or the olive oil board. We're going to have some wine and it's going to be great. It's, oh, I love this game. The mechanics aren't difficult but you've got lots of choices and you can decide, hmm, am I just going to make and sell grapes? Should I just do cheap wine in bulk or should I get those really big orders, the ones that require good quality wine but give you a lot of bonuses? Should I ignore wine entirely and just go for whatever the structures give me in victory points? I did that in one game. I didn't make any wine, but I built a cafe and a restaurant and I just made grapes and sold them to those. So I was running a food retail business while the others were running a vineyard. So much variety, so many options, but still wonderfully, wonderfully thematic. Love this so much now. It is now my number two. Two rising 36 places. That is insane. Thank you for the Tuscany expansion. It, oh, it's expensive, but it did everything right. Tuscany Viticulture Viticulture Tuscany version. My number two. Number one. And yeah, you did, this is no surprise. You knew this was coming, didn't you? If you were paying attention to most of what I've been saying throughout the year, for what I said on my last Top 75, the fact that I've mentioned it on other podcasts with their Top 10 lists and that, this one was my number one last year. 
It's still my number one this year. It's still my favourite game of all time and I cannot wait for all those heavy Euro players to have their heads explode for the fact that I would like a game like this which is probably completely alien to what they're used to. Sentinels of the Multiverse. My number one game of all time. I love superheroes. So the idea that I can have my own deck of cards that is for my superhero only, not anybody else's, and they play out so differently with different abilities and different powers and way of playing. You know, are they the aggressive? Are they the tanks? Are they the healers? Ah, love this one. So much variety now with every expansion I've bought for it and the recent Kickstarter with the Oblivion or whatever it is, the final expansion... Oh, I'm slightly heartbroken that this is coming to an end, but to be honest, there's so much content in this game, especially with what they're releasing for this Kickstarter. I think I'll be pretty content when they stop. It's going to make everything come in this whole sort of almost like an Avengers Infinity War climax, but there's loads more heroes to come, there's more villains to come. Oh, so much that I'm loving about this game. With this, it's a co-op. So each of you has your own hero, and you work together to beat a master villain in a random environment. The environment has its own deck. The villain has its own deck. Each hero has their own deck controlled by separate players. And you work together, comboing off with each other to try and hold back whatever the villain's doing in terms of sending out loads of minions or hitting you himself with direct damage or just making life difficult for you whilst also putting up with whatever weird tricks that the environment throws at you and the environments can be anything from a distant planet to a metropolis city to an intergalactic prison to a different dimension to the jurassic era back in time it's so varied on what you can do you can create infinite amount of combos with this now and each game will play out completely differently because of the abilities and the interaction that the cards have now some people go on about the artwork Personally, I like the artwork. No, it's not stellar artwork. It's not like Abyss-level artwork, but it's done in that classic old comic book style, and it fits, and it still looks vibrant and colourful. Okay, yes, it's not the best ever, but it's not bad. Certainly, it's better than a lot of stuff I see these days. It fits the theme and is ooh, so bright and colourful, and you see the pictures of you know superheroes and villains duking it out. I can now even do multi-villains. You can play this game where instead of one master villain, you have a team of five villains. So it's almost like going up against, uh, let's say, Marvel Knowledge. Oh, the Sinister Six or something like that. And it's just a different way to play it. You know, five heroes versus five villains and each one's comboing off each other. I just adore this game so much. And yes, I know it's fiddly. The bookkeeping can be a hassle, but I use the companion app with this. And that handles most of the bookkeeping for me. I never need to use the tokens again. So I've already got that covered. But you get used to the bookkeeping pretty quickly after a few games. And if you know how to play it, then you just handle the bookkeeping. Let everyone else handle the classic combos with their cards. The card, the rules are simple. You know, you play a card, use a power, draw a card. Nice and simple. You know, you can teach those rules easily. It's just that the player has to figure out how best to use their hero. And they will want to play it again straight after trying a different hero, trying a different villain. You can have easy. You can have stupidly hard. You can even recreate stuff out of the Marvel and DC universe because a lot of them are parodies of each other. All the variety I can ask for. Cooperative nature. Superheroes. One of my favorite themes of all time. Colorful artwork. Thematic tie-ins. It's just got everything I need in a game. This was written with my, this was made with my name on the you know this must please Luke. It must it must please Luke Hector or the Broken Meeple. There you go, build this game, and it's done it. 
two years in a row, my number one game of all time, Sentinels of the Multiverse. Well, there you are, chaps. That is the top 100 of all time from my perspective at the Broken Meeple. It's brought it to a close. Now, I've got a few things I want to chat about more with the list itself. First of all, I mentioned that eight games fell off the list, so I'm just going to go over what those were quickly. First off, Marvel Dice Masters. It was at 40, now it's fallen off the list. I gave it up after a while. The game itself is still quite fun, but the releases came out so quickly. Not many people locally were playing it, and those that did played in tournaments, and in tournaments everybody just plays the same deck because of the certain ultra rares that were just super powerful, and I didn't like the whole CCG aspect of it either. I love how LCGs work, CCG is now just not my thing anymore. So even though the game is quite good, I just didn't really want to play it anymore i got rid of my stuff the releases were too frequent not every expansion was particularly good even there was only some that were good and when you started mixing things like marvel and turtles and D, it just got really weird so it just fell off the list as a result of that my 44 last year star wars imperial assault that fell off the list it would still be in my top 200 but after playing through a whole campaign of it, I realised that there are some glaring issues with regards to a little bit of balance and also the way that it handles various scenarios where it turns more into a case of, right, let's see how many enemies I can block this area with, you know, like get behind the pile of dead bodies tactics, rather than being a thematic campaign. Now, the reason it would still be in my top 200 is because the two-player skirmish mode is brilliant in this. You want to play a two-player head-to-head miniatures game with Star Wars, this is the way to do it. I don't think I will play another campaign game of this unless it's a short one, but I would certainly be up for another two-player skirmish. Unfortunately, I don't own the game anymore. I sold it to uh, my my girlmates at the game shelf so that they could have fun painting this one and playing it themselves but it's still cool i think the skirmish mode is still good enough to put it in my top 200 but it's just kind of the campaign didn't it the climax was not good enough for me to warrant it another place in the top 100 the number 52 arcadia quest fell off now arcadia quest is still fun but it wasn't wasn't getting played as much i didn't really think it pro- like changed very much i mean you had your free people with their abilities but it felt like a kind of wash wash rinse repeat affair as time went on and eventually i i I mean i still enjoy it and i would happily play a campaign of it but it just wouldn't make the top 100 it would make the top 200 i don't hate the game it just yeah it just kind of got a bit repetitive so it couldn't really stay on the top 100 Number 62, Beyond Boulder Dash, fell off. Again, this one would probably be in the top 120, actually, because I still quite enjoy this game, but it just couldn't quite make the list. It's a good party game, but I don't play it with enough people who just play it for the fun. People are still trying to win at this game, you know, get to the finish line, whereas I'd rather you just put in some really stupid answers and we chose between them. Unfortunately, because most people are still trying to win, they're not putting in completely stupid answers, as you really ought to, and sometimes it makes the game fall a little flat. Still really enjoy it, though, but it just couldn't make the top 100. My number 64 from last year, Tales of the Arabian Nights. Again, this would be a top 200 game. It probably might even be a top 110. It just 
didn't really make the top 100. It again got a little bit repetitive over time but it's still a great game. You have to play it with the right people and the people have to accept that this is a game that you will not play to win. You will play it for the experience and certainly I'd still think I prefer this to Above and Below which brought the storybook element in but then tacked it on with this euro bit it feels like two games in one this one i still find to be preferable it's a great laugh if you just accept it is being played for a laugh my number 66 fell off and that was hive i still like it i think it would be in my 110 favorite games in fact actually let me have a look at my list Yeah, actually, Hive was my number 101. It barely missed the list. Hive is still a great two-player abstract strategy game with the, you know, the pieces like the spider and the grasshopper as you try to, they do different ways of moving as you try to surround your opponent's bee. Neat little design, works really well, really enjoy it still. It just didn't quite make the cut, just fell off slightly at the last hurdle. Hive, probably my 101. Number 72 fell off the list, and that was Summoner Wars. I still enjoy it, but the recent uh, Alliances expansion really didn't help the game. It just made it a bit too complicated. It now brought in ways to customize your decks. It ruined what made Summoner Wars good in the first place, which was how simple it was, how you could just literally buy any deck and then it worked. When it started throwing in all these mercenaries and customizations and that, it just elevated it to a point where I didn't want to continue with it. It wasn't for me anymore. So it's still probably a top 200 game, but... Yeah, it just kind of fell off the wayside. Nobody I know plays it. It's it's still a good game. I still respect it, but yeah, it's kind of getting a bit big for its britches now. And finally, my number 75 last year fell off. It was barely holding on to the top 75. It couldn't hold on to the top 100 either, and that is Small World. I still enjoy Small World, but it again got too big for its britches. And it's also a really difficult one for me to teach. Okay, yeah, you might argue this is a gateway game, but you're trying to get people to learn all those abilities and all those different races and then see what the combinations are. You've got like six combinations there. Sorry, six different pairs of combinations. You've got to keep looking them up on a reference chart. You've got to keep re-looking at it every time a new combination comes out. It's still simple mechanic-wise, but trying to teach this to people where they've got to digest all those different abilities just made it a bit of a hindrance to get to the table. I still enjoy playing it. It would still be a top 150, I think. Maybe even a what top 125. But yeah, it's not going to hit the top 100, I think, ever again, just because it's a. But you know, it's not my favorite gateway game of all time, and it's a nightmare to teach it, I think. It's one of the more trickiest gateway games to teach, and that hurts it for me. And to go over very quickly, just a few games that people were hoping would be on the list that weren't Blood Rage. I still think Blood Rage is alright. I still think it's a fine game, but it lacks enough variety to keep me happy outside of the monster upgrades, you know, the the fact that some of the things have only got one upgrade apiece and the quests are the same, you know, just rinse and repeat, you know, control these areas. There was a lot about it that kind of spoiled it, especially as the hype about it was so big. Would it be a top 200 game? Maybe, I think it would probably, it wouldn't be in my top 150, it would probably be in the lower part of a top 200. So it's still a decent enough game, but I'm sorry, Chaos of the Old World just surpassed it for me, and it's not going to hit the top 100. 
Other than that, what else was there? I believe, uh, well, people joked, <laughs> where will Food Chain Magnate be on your list? Yeah, you will not see that in my top 1,000, and I haven't even played 1,000 games, so yeah, nice try with that. I know there was another one. Ah, yes, Through the Ages, that was another one. I like Through the Ages. In fact, I would actually go as far to say it would make my top 125, but there's issues with Through the Ages. One, teaching this is a nightmare. I know there's guys out there like Paul Grogan and that that teach this loads and enjoy doing it and can do it quite well. But my God, there's a lot of rules you've got to absorb in this. So trying to teach it to people is a nightmare. Not to mention that it does take forever to play one of these games. And that's with two players. Two players, if you don't know what you're doing literally at the drop of a hat, you're going to take at least two and a half to three hours to play. And that's just two players. Chances are it will actually go to four hours plus. You play this with three or even four players? I mean, why would you play this with four players? It just I don't want to spend five to six hours playing this Civilization card drafting game. It's just not going to work for me. So that's why Nations takes my top 100 and Through the Ages doesn't. I still like the game. I think the reprint was brilliant. I think it solved a lot of problems with accessibility that the third edition had. But still, not enough to really elevate it to the top 100. And certainly not to take the place of Nations, which is always going to be my preferred one of the two. So, that's it. Another year, another top 100. At least this time I will have something to compare it to next year because comparing a top 100 to a top 75 was a little fiddly. I mean, you saw loads of things come down the chart. Well, that's because i got to fit 25 new games on this list, at least, if not more. You know, 33 new games had to hit the list as a result, so it's a little bit fiddly. But next year, you're going to have a top 100 done again, and it will be compared to this year's top 100, and then you're going to see some interesting comparisons, I think. There are certainly some games that have come out recently, I can think, oh, you know, they could be potentials for a top 100, but we'll have to see. Yes, I raved on about the top 20 games in more detail, when I got to them, but I would happily sit down and play any one of these hundred games that I've mentioned. I enjoy them all in so many ways. I reckon that all of you, no matter what type of games you're into, would have found at least something on this list that would have taken your fancy. Unless your sole purpose in playing games is to play nothing but spreadsheets and 18xx games maybe then we'd probably struggle to find you something on this list. But if you like thematic games, there's going to be something here for you. If you like you know, gateway games, there is definitely something here for you. Party games, definitely. There's all sorts of things here. I think I cover a wide genre of games, in my opinion. Yes, I don't like the heavy you know, 18xx stuff. Yes, I don't like the spreadsheet economic ones that feel more like work. But there's a lot of games I do like. And even some of them are dry. I don't like dry games as much as I do thematic ones, but there were some dry ones on this list. I mean, there was even a Stefan Feld game on there. He's one of my least favorite designers, but even one of his games managed to make my top 100, so there are exceptions. But if you want if you want good, fun, thematic games, I'm sure you found something on this list that will take your fancy. If you don't agree with what's on the list, if you think something should be higher or lower or should be, on, should be off it entirely, then feel free to give me feedback on Facebook and Twitter. Talk to me. I'd love to discuss your potential top 10s with you. You know, what is it about these games you don't like? What is it about these games you think are so good they should beat others or be beaten by others? You know, I like discussing these things. I love top 10s. I love top 100s. I watch them all when I see them. And it's good to see where people 
rate certain games especially when you get to the top tens they just vary so much among people and they give you a good idea of what type of games that person is into so i hope you've enjoyed this i hope you've got some more idea about the types of games i like to play from this top 100 it's a lot of effort to do this i am knackered now as i record this final one normal surface of the podcast will resume next month in september of course i have to tie this in with when i'm moving house because i expect to be moving to my new house and new game room in late september so we'll have to see hopefully there won't be a delay i'll try and get it done in advance and see how things go but oh well i just gotta wait it out and see there's a good future ahead of course i will also look into crowdfunding at some point because you know much as this headset is nice i would like to have a proper microphone and proper podcasting software to do this with and certainly i would like to improve the blog as much as possible for you people that play games and listen to me and take the time out of your schedule to listen to me so thank you for that anyway that's enough for me top 100 is wrapped up hope you enjoyed see you next time you're listening to the dice tower network if you like this show you might like rolling dice and taking names or the party game cast featuring the party game cast find out more at dicetowernetwork.com